Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. Hello, awesomes, and welcome to episode 43 of the show. This week's episode is brought to you by HealthyMoving.com. Healthy moving is all about exercising less, moving more, and feeling better. Visit healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome for your free guide to five simple moves to get you moving while you listen to sorta awesome. This week, Kelly of lovewellblog.com is here to co-host, and we are going to revisit one of our very favorite topics here on the show, the Myers-Briggs system of personality typing. We have gotten a ton of questions from the awesome community on things like how to figure out which type you are when you get different results on the tests, as well as how you can appreciate what the system can teach you without feeling like it's trying to cram you into a box. We're going to cover all of that and more later in today's show. But first, we want to thank you so much for those amazing iTunes reviews that you all have left for us. We put out the call last week, and y'all showed up so awesomely. And so on behalf of our team, I want to tell you that those make such a huge difference for us and for the show. So if you have not gotten a chance to do that, I'm going to leave some simple instructions on how exactly you go about leaving a review in the show notes for today's episode. So Kelly, I think that it's time for you to get us officially kicked off for today's episode with your awesome of the week. Hey, Megan. Hey, everybody. So it is winter. Yes, we are in the middle of January here, nearing the end. It is the heart of winter here in North America. Cold weather, snow. So my awesome of the week is my all-time favorite soup. It's a homemade recipe. Um, We, of course, will put it in the show notes, the details of everything. But it is not hard. It is lasagna soup. Oh, interesting. Yeah, what we've always called it. It's not specifically lasagna, but it's kind of all those flavors. And my favorite thing about it is it's a little unexpected and it has a ton of veggies in it. So I love the fact that I can eat this really tasty, yummy soup, but it also has veggies. So it starts with like Italian sausage and you put in onions and mushrooms, which my kids aren't big fans of, but they have to really be in there. I like them. Yeah. I just like try to take, you know, I don't know if everybody else does this with kids, but I take the mushrooms out of their soup. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm such a good mom. I take the you mushrooms out. You are. Yes. <laughs> well, I remember when I was a kid, you know, they were kind of slimy. And now as an adult, you're like, oh, they're yeah. good. I know. Um, it's got carrots in it and onions and garlic, of course. And then like stewed tomatoes, chicken broth. It has malfalda pasta in it, which If you can't find, I'll use whatever. But they're so cute. If you have never seen them in the grocery store, if you can find them, they look like little lasagna noodles. They're like little ribbons. So they would go in there. But any kind of pasta would do. And then this is the real fun thing. So you put all those things in. You know, you're sauteing them. And then you're adding your broth and your tomatoes and everything and letting it simmer and letting the pasta get soft. At the very, very end, you put in handfuls of chopped raw spinach. 
Ah, just yum. like it's wilted. So you have that green in there. Right. And then the really fun part, I think, and this is the part my kids love, is you go and buy a big log of fresh mozzarella cheese, or you can even buy those little circle rounds. Right. And you put a few of those, or you cut up some of the fresh mozzarella log into little chunks. You put them in the bottom of a bowl, and then you ladle the soup right on top. That sounds so wonderful. The soup kind of softens that cheese. It gets mm. real stringy while you're eating it. You've got the pasta. I mean, you've got tons of things in there. The Italian sausage for sure to make it hearty. I mean, this my husband loves this soup, but it's got all like half of it is veggies. So that's pleasing me. It makes me feel like I'm, you know, feeding my family healthy. And then you if you have some access to fresh basil, little sh- you know, chiffons on top or just pesto. If you've got some pesto or you can buy it that way it lasts longer, that sort of thing. It is like the ultimate comfort food for me in the winter. It's got all those things, you know, cheese and pasta, some healthy stuff. It's soup. It's warm. It's stringy. You can put bread with it, garlic bread. Oh, my word. It's really over the top. So that is my awesome of the week. I think that when we get into this part of winter, good night. We need something to warm us up, <laughs> something to make the house smell good, right. something that makes great leftovers for soup the next day for lunch for me or my kids. I'll put it in their thermos. It is a great awesome. I love that. And I, as I'm listening to you you're all cozied up in this really cute sweater and I know you're wearing some really cute leg warmers too I am people I don't know if it's like just a throwback to the 80s or if I'm going to start a new trend or what I mean they're out there people are out there millennials are wearing them I am not a millennial I have friends for millennials so yes we are totally trying to cozy it up here because it is January and I live in Minnesota and it's been very very cold here I know. I know. It's it's pretty cold down here in Oklahoma, but we're not that cold as you guys have been up there. So I have nothing to complain about, really. Yes, so Really. The only thing that separates us from the North Pole this time of year is barbed wire. Like, <laughs> no, really. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much right there. So. Okay. Well, we will definitely put that recipe into the show notes. It sounds very, very tasty. Perfect for this time of year. Yes. What's your awesome of this week? Well, you know, Kelly, one thing that we hear all the time from our community is how much they love our recommendations that we are always giving on the show, usually here in the Awesome of the Week segments, but sometimes in different parts of the show. Heaven knows we do love to give some recommendations on this show. But you know what I really love is in our Hangout group on Facebook, every week we do an Awesome of the Week thread. And more often than not, when we hear from you all, in that discussion, what your awesome of the week was. It's not recommendations for anything. It's just like little snippets and slices of life, like the people and the things that are just like making you so happy. And I love that. So I thought I would do that this week and share just a little slice of real life that really and truly was my awesome of this past week. So last week, my husband, Kyle, had to make a very quick trip down to my hometown to see a client. It was a super like, just run down there, grab some signatures and come back kind of trip. Well, I had not planned to go with him because he was going on the day when I usually buckle down and edit the show and get everything ready for the new episode to come out every week. But at the very last minute, I just, in a moment of spontaneity, (laughs) decided I'd just load up the twins and we would just go down there with them. So it was kind of like a little mini road trip of sorts, just a super fast trip. And Kelly, it was so wonderful. First of all, I have to say our twins, they are almost three, but they are really so good in the car. And I think it's because when they were babies, they 
would never nap or very rarely napped unless I was driving them around in the car. And to this day, when they get into their car seats, they are just quiet. They just look out the window. Um, The DVD player in my van is broken. It has been for a long time. So they don't even know that watching a movie in the car is a thing. (laughs) It's a possible possible reality to them, right? Right, exactly. They're like growing up the way we did. Exactly, yes. (laughs) So they were just so quiet. And um, Kyle and I just had this block of uninterrupted conversation time. It was really kind of magical. We just talked and talked about various projects that we both are working on, things that we're excited about these days in our personal life, in our professional lives. Um, This is the time of year when Kyla and I always daydream about just like packing up and moving to the tropics. Just like (laughs) we're out of here. We cannot handle winter. (laughs) winter one more year we're moving to Costa Rica and so we just kind of daydream about that what that would look like if we really did that um we always get to laughing about people and stories from our past um when we are have time that we're just you know talking together so that was so fun and this all took place on this stretch of interstate 35 that runs from Oklahoma City down to my hometown in southern Oklahoma and that is a stretch of highway that I could totally drive in my sleep. I have driven up and down that road so many times. I know every mile marker along the way. And I got to thinking about, you know, back when um, when Sarah Bessie was on the show, she, that was back in episode 32, she kind of talked a little bit about like the theology of place mm-hmm. and how, for her, how important the wide open spaces of Canada are that really give her that physical sense of space that she really craves and needs in her life. And so I was just thinking about that as we were going. I was thinking about how you know, as we were driving down to my hometown, all these other little small towns in Oklahoma, how much growing up in small towns shaped who I am and are so much a part of my story of who I have become. And it was just this really cool thing to be in this spot that is so much history for me and yet be next to the person who is completely, you know, part of my past, but very much part of my present and future and how profound that was. And I don't know, it was just really, it was just a really cool moment in time, a really surprising moment. In fact, I got to thinking about like, there's a lot of adjectives that we use to describe marriage. We don't usually talk about marriage being surprising, at least not in a good way, <laughs> not a good kind of surprise. Right. Yes. Yes, <laughs> Sometimes that's true. So... If you put that word with marriage, it's not usually in a context uh-huh. that's positive. Right, right. But it really struck me that I am really constantly surprised by Kyle and the insights that he shares, the solutions that he can come up with, the directions that he wants to move. Um, next month, we will have been together for 20 years. We started Woo-hoo. dating almost 20 years ago. So that's over half of my life with him. Yeah. And to be able to come away from a conversation with him, genuinely feeling surprised by what all he is thinking about and the insights he has for me, it was just, I don't know, Kelly, it was just so great. So... Yeah. You're obviously glowing, even, you know, a few days later. Like it's that, I think it's connection, right? Yes. We can all understand that when you have that moment of connection, especially when it's with somebody that's been in your life for a long time, it would be tempting to think that you know them all completely. And so when you connect in that way, that is surprising, but in a good way. Oh, there's few things like it. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So that was my awesome of the week. Mm, So before we get to the show and all of our Myers-Briggs talk that we have planned to talk about today, Kelly, I wanted to 
check in with you really quickly because from the beginning of the show, almost a year ago, you've kind of talked about all of these life transitions that you personally have had going on with all of your kids being in school and what does your life look like now. And I know that even just in the past few weeks that your life has kind of shifted into a new change, a new season. So I wanted to give you some space to give all of us a little update on what you have going on now. Right. And I'm so glad you're letting me do this because I really feel like the awesomes are my friends. You all are my friends. So it would be remiss of me not to let you know that there's this big thing happening in my life and I'm not pregnant. <laughs> Don't you still feel I'm, I'm, I'm I kind do, of almost yes. out of that, that stage. But when I say I have something to tell you, people get that eyebrow and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not pregnant. So true. But after 14 years of being a stay-at-home mom, largely um, focusing really inward on my family, and I had mentioned last fall and even last year talking about this, looking forward to the fact that last fall all of my kids were in school. They still are <laughs> yes. full-time. So I have gone back to work um, just part-time. It is a baby step. So in some ways, it's a totally new phase of life for me. In some ways, it's just a little bit of a peeking open of the door for what the next phase will be. But I have started to be an adjunct professor in the communications department here at a private liberal arts college in the Twin Cities. So right now I'm just teaching one class. People who have like real full-time jobs or who are real professors who are doing research who teach, you know, four or five every semester are like, oh, you're precious. (laughs) But it is so new for me. And it is um, TV news, which is completely in my wheelhouse, if I was going to use jargon. I'm thrilled to be teaching it. I'm starting from scratch because I got to pick a textbook. And so... I'm, I'm trying right now to stay a week ahead of my students. Like, well, what are we going to do tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it's fun. It's really exciting. And it's, it's amazing to me that I'm actually starting to get the chance to look out. And I feel like I probably have used this metaphor on the show before. But I feel like, especially for me, because my husband and I are not traditional in our mindset of how we view marriage and roles. But the way it looks is very traditional. He has been the primary breadwinner in our family ever since I gave birth to our daughter and she's 14. So I've been at home. My attention has been very singularly focused on our children and on raising them. And as anybody who's had kids or even has been around kids knows, it's a very all-encompassing thing. And for a little while, I think especially as the stay-at-home parent, whether you're male or female, but often for females because they're in that physical work of maybe even nursing and getting up with the baby, you kind of lose yourself a little while. Um, It's just a, it's a stage. It's a phase. I wouldn't panic about it. Although I know a lot of us do because it feels so different, but here I am starting to come out of that and being able to look out again, instead of just look down and look in. And it's a really exciting thing. It's a little bittersweet. I think I can't say it's not because you recognize that that was a significant chapter of my life. And I've said before on the show too, one that I loved more than I ever thought possible. That was so not my life plan was to be a mom, much less a stay-at-home mom. But it was sweet and enriching and it really taught me so much. And I loved being home with my kids. But maybe a little bit of hope for anybody who's out there in that phase. Look, It does end. (laughs) And so maybe more so than some people who dabble in everything all the time, you know, they're having babies and they're working. I think that's more the norm these days, even if you're just doing something at home that's kind of part time on the side. But it does 
change. Life is always changing. And so for me, it's an exciting thing, even though it's a little overwhelming and I feel, try to find my place and all of that. But that's a really big thing that's happening in my life. I'm so glad that I have the show to continue to be like a thing that's just. Right. Yeah. Here we are almost a year in. I can't believe it's been almost a year. I know. Life changes, but there's some things to stay the same. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for giving us that update. I've been really just itching for you to tell everybody what you've had going on because this has been pretty big. So, I mean, I want us all to just stop and imagine how awesome it would be to have Kelly Gordon teach one of your college classes. (laughs) It's so (laughs) fun. Especially because, and this is maybe a transition into what we're talking about today, as a professor, I'm probably the most walkover. People are saying, oh, maybe I can't get that in on Friday. I'm like, ah, that's okay. (laughs) What matters is that you learn, not that you earn a grade. (laughs) So there have been several people who are like, yeah, baby, I would love to have you as a professor. (laughs) Is attendance required? How do you feel? Yeah, how do you feel about how do you feel about coming to class? Yeah. So that's sweet, but I mean, hopefully I'll do a good job. Hopefully I'll find that balance between being yes. true to myself and still actually giving right. people a grade that they've earned at the end of the semester. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, you and I have talked Myers-Briggs for a whole episode before. Way back in episode 15 of the show, we talked all about Myers-Briggs, and we have gotten so many follow-up questions, both through email and definitely in the Hangout group. It is often a hot topic in the Hangout group. And so we wanted to kind of try to tackle some of those today. Before we dive into this, just a reminder that Kelly and I, we are not Myers-Briggs experts. We are definitely enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. We love to talk about this system and the positive impact it has had on our lives in terms of understanding ourselves, our spouses, our children. And so we are happy to share those thoughts with you, but nobody should take any of our advice as coming from an expert for sure. Right. (laughs) Don't go out and follow us. Do your own research, but we are certainly passionate about telling you what we've learned. That's right. Okay, well, our first question came to us through email from listener Robin, and she wrote, since listening to your show, I've been learning more about Myers-Briggs personality types. I'm an INFJ, and I've been learning more about my ENFJ husband, which let's just pause and think about what a wonderful household that would be to have an INFJ and an ENFJ. I'm sure it's very well run and very organized, but very loving and connected too. So kind. (laughs) Love it. She said, this has cleared up so much in my life and I really have enjoyed getting to know myself. However, I'm having a hard time getting around the box it puts me in, especially when internet articles or people try to classify me as something I am not. Is there a healthy way to talk about Myers-Briggs without putting others or myself in a box? And again, that is from listener Robin. Thank you so much, Robin, for that question. I I know there are many, many people who are highly resistant to talking about any kind of personality typing, really, because of that very thing. It makes you feel like, oh, I'm supposed to act this way. Or if I don't, you know, if I look at this internet meme and that's not representative of me, that must mean I'm not really that type. So what type am I? I mean, there's just a lot out there that can cause you to either not want to learn about a personality system or to just reject it altogether. So Kelly, I would love to hear from you a little bit, your thoughts for Robin on this. Well, I think it is exactly what you just said. Such a in some ways, a weakness of the program, because to talk about it in its entirety, labels are somewhat required. You know, we could say, which is true? And I think it's the biggest thing to point out. 
And nobody who is even an expert in Myers-Briggs or any other personality type would say, this is a box that you have to fit in. Right. They would say, these are all sorts of a sliding scale. But we have difficulty talking about them when we say, well, everybody's everything. Because even though we are, even though that's probably the most overarching truth, it's hard for us to actually dig in and say, well, what makes us different? What makes us unique? Without saying, for the purpose of this test, we're going to say we're more on this side of the extrovert scale than on the that side of the introvert scale, whatever it would be, especially Myers-Briggs, there's different scales. So I would not talk to somebody and expect them to fit inside their Myers-Briggs. So if they said, well, I am this, of course, things are going to come to me. But the fun thing about it is then to shush out those things that are kind of fitting within their type and the things that don't. So I just read, and maybe we can put a link in the show notes, real simple in this January 2016 issue, had a whole article on personality typing, and they were asking this exact same question. And one of the experts in that article said that he thinks it's actually more interesting to not just talk about the things that make you a classic INTJ or INFJ, but the things that make you not. Oh, yeah. So he was saying, you know, we all have those things, those quirks, if you will, that don't fit well within the labels, the boxes. So he said, there are things that he would call our fixed traits, Mm -hmm. the things that are more fitting within those boxes, and then things that are free, things that are outside of the norm, but that are very typical to us and that do give us energy. So I thought, what a great way to look at it, to be able to say, I'm not just... Yes. An ENFP, that's me, but I am these things too. So I I would not want to talk to somebody about it and ever have them feel like this is a label, this is some sort of a predictor of their life and where they're going and where they've come from and how they must act in all situations because it just isn't that. Right, yes. I totally agree, I do. Um, I think that it's very easy to, when you get, say, let's say if you take the full length test for whatever reason, maybe when you're in school or for a job thing, or even if you take one of the internet tests to get those results and um, read through them and, and think, well, yeah, I can see myself doing this, but I'm definitely not this way. That's very common. All of us are created by God to be unique individuals. And he did not have, God did not have that system in mind when he created humanity. This is just kind of a way to sort through some traits that people tend to have in common. So definitely, I think that that is so, so hugely important to remember the ways to think about the ways that you are not like everyone else, maybe in your type and to celebrate those things too. I really love that perspective. I think that when it, for me, when it comes to a healthy way to talk about it, a healthy way to think about Myers-Briggs is it genuinely can be such a great tool to help you understand yourself, which Robin said, and those around you. And specifically, it helps you understand how you process information and why you respond to it the way that you do. And so what you have then when we have these internet memes that go around like, Here's Myers Briggs for every Harry Potter character. Yes, like that. that was one of my favorites. <laughs> Star Wars, the new Star Wars. Star I've Wars, seen that one a lot right? Else. Yes, those little pop culture memes. Those are fun. They're fun and silly, and they're also highly inaccurate. <laughs> yes, and, that, and that's important to note because I think sometimes people see them and they start to feel the weight of that. Right. Yes. 
Right. You know, it's kind of funny because a lot of those cast the INTJ as being the bad guy or the villain. (laughs) It's so true. I have to tell you a funny story. So we'll come back to that. But my daughter, Natalie, who's 14, just came home last week and she has not yet read the Harry Potter book. So let's just take a moment and say a word of prayer for her to get get her life right. She'll get there. (laughs) She'll get there. But she came home and she said, Mom, at drama practice today, they were everybody was talking about what Hogwarts house they would be in. And I don't know. Like I, you know, haven't read the books. So she's kind of we were talking about it, and I'm like, well, there's only a thousand tests you can take online <laughs> to figure out what ho- Hogwarts house you belong in. So we were talking about it. And especially with that, you know, really all three of the houses, except for Slytherin, they they had they overlap traits. Yes. And right. I thought it's like Myers Briggs. Like it's not this clear classifications like, oh, well, you're in Hufflepuff, so you're kind, but you're not brave. Right. Well, yeah, you know, you are. I mean, except for Slytherin, which my husband is an INTJ. And she was like, so what house do you think you'd be in, mom? And so I guessed. And then she said, what house do you think dad would be in? Do you think he'd be in Gryffindor? And I'm like, oh, child, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but I don't think there's any way that your father would not be in Slytherin. Because I have seen the internet memes that have gone around, you know, like you're talking about. So it's just... They're fun to look at, but yes. I do think that INTJs there are always the bad guy, and they're not. They're not, but they do have a certain reputation. It's true. It's in true. a generality. It is. It's totally generalization. I have a, a dear friend who's an INTJ, and she has complained about that. Like, I hate these. Why am I always the villain? She's like the least villainous person yes. I know. Yes. So, um, so anyway, that we're kind of going off on a rabbit trail there. But just remember that those are just for fun, mm-hmm. and they're just silly. But when it comes down to thinking about Myers-Briggs in a positive and helpful way, it is totally not about boxing yourself in and saying, I must respond this way because this is what my type would do. It's never about that. It's about looking at, even if you look at it, just the most simple breakdown of those letters, those four letters, those represent um, kind of opposing personality traits and ways so that we express ourselves to others around us and, and the way that we take in information. Kelly, you and I like to talk about cognitive functions, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later in the show. But so even at its most simple point, you can look, you can think about how this can be a healthy tool in your life. If you understand, for example, if you're an extrovert or an introvert, letting go of all of that pop culture baggage about what it means to be an extrovert, what it means to be an introvert. I think that we are living in the age of the introvert. Yes, for (laughs) sure. Introversion is being celebrated more than ever before almost to the point where sometimes as an extrovert, I want to be like, listen, extroverts are not evil. Okay. (laughs) I'm identifying with the INTJs and how they are always cast as the villain in that some of the, you know, internet cartoons and those types of things where the extrovert is always cast as like the overbearing in your face, won't leave you alone. Yeah. Constantly talking. Constantly talking. Just be quiet. But, 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 Yeah, I get it. Extrovert here too, so. Yes, yes. But really, just letting go of that and understanding that um, introversion means that you are energized by time alone, that time alone with your thoughts, time alone to work on projects, that is what brings life and energy and enthusiasm to your life. And for those of us who are extroverts, like Kelly and I, being with people, connecting with people, connecting with the world around us is what brings energy to us. 
if we understand that, that is a healthy thing because we can take better care of ourselves. And if we understand the people in our family, in our workplace, our friendships, if we understand what is bringing energy to them, then we can honor that in them and try to make the way through life a little bit easier for them in a lot of ways. Sometimes I do have to admit I go overboard on this with Kyle because he's an INTJ. He's highly introverted. But he's also a very outgoing person. And so I will sometimes try to step in and be like really protective of his introvert time. Like if we have people over or if he had to be at a meeting all day, I'll be like, okay, I know you need recovery time. You just go up to your office. He'll be like, like I'm fine. I'm 40 years old. I, I know when I need I to I to take care of myself. Yeah, I know when I need to go be alone and stuff. So, but, so maybe sometimes you could go a little over the top Yeah, <laughs> the way I do with looking out for the interests of people around you when you know they're Myers-Briggs types. When you look at the next set of letters, it's either an N or an S. You're either an intuitive type or a sensing type. And just understanding, okay, if, I, if I'm an intuitive type, my strength in life is looking at the big picture and learning how and, and knowing how, actually, I don't even have to really learn it. I intuitively know how to make connections and how to put patterns together. If I'm a sensing type, that means I do really great with the concrete stuff of life. I am really good at figuring out the details and working in the details of, of whatever situation comes along. And again, applying that to the people around you. And so when we talk about the T and the F in your type, so if you're a thinker type, then you know that you're going to be best at making decisions when all of the facts are on the line and you have to make a logical decision. For those of us who are feeler types, it doesn't necessarily mean that we live in the world of all feelings all the time, although sometimes it might feel like it. <laughs> it really means that when it comes to making decisions, we're going to be more subjective. We're going to make decisions based on our internal code of values. And then the last pair, the J and the P, we have whether or not you're a judging type or a perceiving type. We know that if you're a J, that you do really well with making decisions, with taking in information and then making that decision, that you feel uncomfortable leaving things open-ended. Whereas for those of us who are P-types, the perceiving types, we love open-ended things. <laughs> we love living in the world of possibilities, and we get a little nervous when we have to buckle down and actually make a decision. So all of those things work together to just help us really, truly to have a better understanding of why we do what we do and why the people around us do what they do. So... I totally relate to and understand how frustrating it can be when you feel like your type is presented in a certain way in pop culture, on the internet. I know, Kelly, I'm sure you have been as annoyed as I have been with ENFPs being constantly painted as, you know, flaky and um, unable to hold their attention on anything. And right. so disorganized. It, disorganized, and, yes. yep. Mm -hmm. It gets frustrating. It totally does. Um, but to go back to your question, Robin, I think that just being able to see the benefits of having that solid understanding of yourself and the people in your life really can help you to just ignore all of the noise on the internet and apply what seems applicable to you and let go of the rest. I'm all for picking and choosing yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. Well, we'll be back with more Myers-Briggs talk in just a moment after this from our sponsor. This week's episode of Sorta Awesome is sponsored by HealthyMoving.com, where Jen Hoffman is on a mission to help you redefine health and fitness. Your health is not measured by your dress size or a number on the scale. 
It's best measured by how you feel. And if you don't feel as great as you would like to, I want to encourage you to check out Jen's program at HealthyMoving.com. Don't forget, we would love to see what you are doing while you listen to Sorta Awesome. Tell us what you're up to or post a picture and use the hashtag AwesomeMoves. Because Jen is incredibly awesome, one person who posts to Instagram or Twitter using that hashtag AwesomeMoves before January 28th will be selected to receive a lifetime coaching program membership from Healthy Moving. And to get a free guide to five simple movements to keep you moving while you listen, go to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome to 33444. We are back. Before the break, we discussed the importance of having a healthy perspective on Myers-Briggs. It's not to label you. It's not to put you in a box. It's to help you understand how your brain is leading you through life. Well, we had another question come in that I thought was so interesting. One of our listeners wrote in through the Tumblr, actually, and asked, Hey, Megan and friends, I really enjoy the show, especially the episodes on personality. I was wondering what your opinion is on the topic of ambiverts. (laughs) Kelly, I told Kelly a million times before we started this show, I was going to have to practice saying the word ambivert. For some reason, it's a tricky one for me. So if I get to better than what you want to say, let's just go ahead and confess it here. (laughs) I told her I kept wanting to say Ambien, <laughs> which is not the same thing at all. Not the same thing. We've all been there, though. We just get a word that doesn't work. Ambivert. Ambivert is a kind of a new idea, and it is basically saying I am both extrovert and introvert. I am so in the middle of that sliding scale that I am going to make myself a new definition. Yes. So if you are not familiar with that term, ambivert, that's what it's referring to. Yeah. And you know, honestly, for people that are Kelly and I's type ENFP, we would be the ones leading the charge to say, yes, Mm -hmm. I'm totally an ambivert because we ENFPs are the most introverted of the extrovert types. And I know actually a lot of ENFPs really struggle with that thing of, am I am I really an introvert? Because we crave downtime and recovery time more than any other extroverted type. So Kelly, I'm just super curious if you want to share your thoughts on ambivert and if that is a real thing and uh, what you have kind of, what conclusions you have come to about this terminology. Well, I definitely believe it's a real thing. If no, for no other reason than the one you just said is that I identify with it. I have sympathy for it. Like I understand why someone would say I just don't fall clearly enough within either of the rigid guidelines for introvert or extrovert. Having said that, though, I don't think it's helpful as a definition only because it is so middle of the road, it loses its meaning. So to go back to, yes, does it we kind of feel like we're being forced into a box to pick one or the other, especially between those two classifications, introvert or extrovert. But I think that just being able to say, I primarily get my energy from being out there with others or being alone by myself is helpful. You can certainly, no one, as we just said, is saying that you have to then live your life according to this set of guidelines or that set of guidelines, if that were true, then I would be more ready to embrace this new definition. But I feel like it muddies the water a little bit and it is not as helpful for being able to discuss what makes me me, what makes other people them. And it doesn't help me as much understand what they need, what they seek in the world and and all of those things that I think are 
what is helpful to me about personality typing. Without those distinctions, when we say, well, we're all just everything, we lose the ability of what makes them helpful to say, this is what makes me me. This is how I'm motivated. This is how I see the world. And of course, then the flip side of that is not only knowing ourselves, but understanding that the other people in our lives who are not wired the same way we are to take in information, they're not wrong. Right. <laughs> they're just different. Yes. So yeah, I, I find the term to be less helpful, even though I sympathize with it. What about you? That's a good way to say it. I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to approach this, but I think that's a good way to say it. I don't think that the ambivert definition or, you know, that sort of label is very helpful because, well, here we go. I'm just going to go ahead and dive into this whole cognitive function thing because it is truly the backbone of the Myers-Briggs system. So yes, when you take a test, again, either the long formal test or a shorter internet test, which I I like to send people to 16personalities.com. I have no affiliation with them at all whatsoever, but I think they have a good test. And I like their profiles that they give you after you've completed the test. So when you get your test results, you have these four letters and and they kind of place you as being a certain type. And that is great. And a lot of people stop right there and just, you know, look at the, the two, the, the letters and what those stand for. And they never dig deeper than that. And that is totally fine. Totally fine. But if you really want to dig into why the system works and how it can really unfold for you and decode for your brain why you perceive information the way you do and why you act on information the way you do, you really have to look at the cognitive functions. And each cognitive function we all have, every single type has four, and we all have two introverted functions, and we all have two extroverted functions. And when you're looking at the cognitive functions, introversion and extroversion have to do with either things outside of us, those are your extroverted functions, or they have to do with things um, going on internally, and those are going to be your introverted functions. So I'm going to talk a little bit about ENFP and INTJ just to give some examples. Because a lot of this stuff, it can be hard to kind of just talk in generalities. Those are the types that I know the best, probably, because I'm an ENFP and my husband's an INTJ. Studying what we were and how we could work together is what got me into Myers-Briggs to begin with. So for ENFP, is driven by extroverted intuition. And that means that our first cognitive function, it is extroverted. It deals with the world around us. We are constantly taking in information around us, whether it is things that people are saying or even and especially what's not being said in a particular environment. Um, everything from, you know, the, the colors, the atmosphere, the tone of a discussion, we're taking all of that in. We cannot turn it off. It's the primary way that our brains interact with the, the environment around us. So there's a lot of information coming in all the time. Now, our INTJ counterparts lead with introverted intuition. And so that means because it it is intuition, they're they're really good at, at pulling out patterns and making connections. However, they want to do that internally. And so here's one way that this has really helped in our marriage, something from huge for me to understand. When Kyle has a topic he wants to research, he's a very research-oriented person, he goes under, he disappears into his office with books around him, books and tablets and notes and pens and like dozens of 
uh, uh, documents up on his computer. I mean, he goes into full-on research mode. Introverted intuitors, the INTJs and the INFJs of the world, are really great at narrowing in on the topic at hand, learning all about it, but they're they're doing all of that internally. They're taking it all in and doing that work inside. Whereas we, the ENFPs, are in our extroverted ways, we are dealing with the world around us. Mm-hmm. And so that makes a huge difference in how we perceive things. Um, so that's just one example of how cognitive functions work. But like I said, all of us have, every single type has a function that they lead with. And it is either an extroverted function or it's an introverted function. And so when I hear a term like ambivert, it, I feel like it does confuse people because it kind of throws you off the trail, so to speak, of understanding what it is that is the primary way that your brain works in and deals in the environment around you. So when I am asked, you know, what's my opinion on it? I think I do kind of agree with you, Kelly, and that I just, I don't know that it's always super helpful when it could be a barrier to digging in just a little bit deeper. Even if you find out what your type is, and even if you just find out what your very first, your top, your primary cognitive function is, that's a big step into further understanding your type. And so I guess that's kind of where I come down. I, I maybe I'm giving it a little bit of side eye. <laughs> a little bit of side eye. That's a good way to say it. That's how we sum it up. Ambivert, a little bit of side eye. <laughs> well, and you know, what you're saying there about the cognitive functions, especially with the Myers-Briggs personality typing system, it's so important and it was so key for me because I know one of the questions that comes up on the board and that you personally get all the time is, I'm trying to decide between two types. Yes. And sometimes there's just one letter apart. We've talked about that before. But even if they're two somewhat similar but not just one letter apart types, people are saying, I don't really understand because, again, we are on a sliding scale. And we don't all fit perfectly in boxes. So this is kind of a, like we're just taking all these different things we're talking about and putting them together here. And I remember going to you and saying, I don't fit in the ENFP box because I am not a cluttered, disorganized person. And we talked about that. And so I was trying to decide if I'm an ENFP or if I'm an ENFJ. Because when you go across that scale of the P and the J, as you discussed, I tend to look on the outside more like I would be a J. So I didn't identify with all of the boxes that people said, well, to be ENFP, you need to be this. And so that's when you really said you should go look at the cognitive functions and think about how your brain works. And that's when the light bulbs went on because I said, wait, this is talking about how my brain is taking in information and how I'm perceiving the world. And even if I act differently on the outside because of all sorts of different things, we are so complex. You know, our backgrounds, our family of origins, the jobs that we have, all these things can change the way our outward lives are expressed. But this is in some ways more about how our brain just automatically thinks the grooves that it's made into. So Every once in a while, I'll come back to that question. And I will say, over Christmas, I was once again saying, I just feel sometimes like I'm so much a J. Like, I relate more to my judging counterparts. There are things that I like to do. I like details. I like to cross things off my to-do list. And then, as we've said, here I am starting to teach a college course, starting from scratch. I was so excited in December all the possibilities before me, you know, oh, we could do this, we could do that, it's going to be this, and I'm going to think maybe that textbook. But then last week, I had to write the syllabus. And I died at least 10 times, (laughs) at least 10 times, because I was having to take all those possibilities. Yes. 
and put them in paper on writings right. with like real numbers and words. And I mean, I gnashed my teeth. I gnashed my teeth at right. my computer. Like this is painful. It is tearing apart my soul. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they're every distraction in the world was available to me last week because I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't oh. even know how to do this. Yes. And I would walk in and out of my husband's office and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I, this is it's just horrible. <laughs> if there was ever a time that I wondered if I'm truly a person who is naturally drawn to the details in life and, and finds great satisfaction and joy. Now, once I get them down, once I get the details down, Wonderful. I feel so good about that. Sure, They're there yeah. and I can function. In fact, I think a lot of the processes in my life that do make me an organized person, at some point I fought through my perceivingness and came up with these structures because I knew that if I lived in a world of endless possibilities, I would go crazy. Sure. So yeah. these sorts of things that I do where, you know, it's Monday, it's my day to clean. Even though in some ways they're really rigid, they're help, they help me survive in a world of endless possibilities because there's a few things that have already been decided on. Yes. And that's a good thing for me. But if I did not know that that's how my brain works, it's very hard to understand these tests then and to say, how can I make this work for me? But to say, this is how my brain works. This is why writing this syllabus is hard for me. It was, it didn't make it any easier, but it was a a sense of relief to understand that this is just how my brain works. And when my husband, again, he is an INTJ, just like Kyle, works differently, I think for so much of our marriage, we have been at odds with each other. Like, you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is plain as day, this. Um, and to be able to say, no, it's okay. So it, when you take some of those things out of the system, when you say we, we don't really have to look at the cognitive functions or it, it loses some of its ability to help us, even though in a little bit of a way it is a label, it still is the great key yeah. to understanding ourselves and understanding other people. That's so true. I love that story, Kelly. Uh, and I know I, you've shared with me a little bit of your angst in just getting the syllabus put together. And I was just laughing when, to myself as you were telling that story, because I was thinking, if you were truly an ENFJ, you would have been delighted to have, okay, here's all the information. Okay, let's get to organizing it. And how is this going to make the most sense for the people in the class? How is this going to inspire them to do their best work? You would want to put that order down onto it to help your students to do the best they can. That's what motivates an ENFJ. So, but in two, as an ENFP, if you did not know that about yourself, that we live in the world of possibilities and makes us really uncomfortable to have to pin down some, okay, this is what we're going to do plans. Yep. <laughs> then you might have engaged in a lot of negative self-talk, you know, yes. like a lot of like, I cannot do this. this I wasn't cut out for this. I'm going to fail at this. I'm going to be a terrible professor. My students are going to hate me. I mean, you can go down the whole dark the, trail, the whole right. dark trail of how terrible you are at something because you were just, you know, not recognizing and not honoring the fact of actually my brain is really great at coming up with all these possibilities. And I'm just going to, I'm going to fight through this and I'm going to be able to put it together in a way that makes sense for my students without indulging in that negative self-talk. Yep. And I think that we've said this before, but even just to understand the people in your life, when my daughter just recently took the 16 personalities quiz, mm -hmm. unbeknownst to me, and I will say as a kind of precursor, I am very leery of typecasting my own kids. Sure. Yes. Because I feel like there's so much becoming still. Yes. And I'm afraid that if I label them, even in my own head, 
that I'm going to expect things out of them or that sort of thing. So I feel like there's still so much becoming. So she saw it on Instagram. And so so she came up at bedtime. I know. And she was like, mom, I took a test online. It was on 16personalities.com. And I'm like, interesting. I believe I've heard of that site. And she said, I am an INFJ. And you could see she was lit up like a firecracker. You know, she was so happy. She said, it made so much sense. I read it and I thought, wow, this is who I am. And I think especially, you know, for a teenager, but really for all of us, when you start to feel like, who am I? I'm weird. I don't fit with the mold. To have somebody say, no, it's okay. Like there are other people just like you out there, maybe not just like you, but mostly like you, brains that work like you. And some brains are more highly prized in school, you know, all the different kinds of intelligence, all that sort of stuff. It's so comforting to be able to say, no, this is just who I am. It's not all that I am. It does, it's not an excuse for laziness, you know, that sort of thing. But it's so wonderful to be able to say, hmm, that's why my brain does that. Yes. That's why I react to that that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And to go back to a a point we talked about just a few minutes ago, this whole thing of when you cannot decide, especially between two types, usually people can kind of narrow it down. I hear a lot from people. I keep taking the test and, you know, like half the time I get ISFJ, the other half of the time I get INFJ and I just cannot figure out what I am. The two things that I always tell people, the first thing is, look at the the bigger picture, the four temperaments. So, you know, figure out, for example, ISFJ or INFJ. ISFJs are part of the SJ group of people, the guardians, the people who like to uphold customs and traditions and keep things moving the way they are. That is their strong point. So would you identify more as an SJ or more as an NF, which is what an INFJ is? NFs are your idealists, and they're the ones that are always dreaming of what could be. They are not necessarily as engaged in the way things are, the way SJs are. NFs want to dream about how can we make everything better? What is the ideal here, and how can we move towards that? So that's a great first step is to look at the temperament temperament class that the types that you're trying to decide between fall into. And if that is not as helpful, then moving on to cognitive functions can be super helpful to look at, okay, what's the primary cognitive function of this type and what is it for this type and compare those and do some research and some digging around and see what rings your bell as something that is very familiar to you and how you move in the world. Okay, well, we had one last question before we wrap up, and this was from email from listener Hannah. She wrote to say, I love your obsession with Myers-Briggs. I love how you speak it as a second language, which I confess I totally do (laughs) to the great annoyance, I'm sure, of most people in my life. Uh, She said, I was wondering if you could recommend some super basic reading material that would help a newbie like me wrap her head around it all. When it comes to super simple, I'm going to actually direct you, Hannah, towards the internet, because although there are plenty of books out there and some of them are really well-written and helpful, that's that's a commitment. I'm going to take you to the simplest places possible to kind of start to digest some of this. The first place I would send you is 16personalities.com. I really trust their profiles. I think that they are very balanced and do a great job with painting an overview of each of the types. So you could go to 16personalities.com. You can take their free test. Um, you can read about your own profile. You can read about the profiles of the people in your life. So again, I have no affiliation with them at all whatsoever. I just think that they're a, a great spot to start 
your Myers-Briggs journey on the internet. The second place I would send you is to personalityhacker.com. Personality Hacker is one of my very favorite podcasts. I love the work that Joel, Mark, and Antonia do. They um, have a whole business. They actually are professionals. They actually are really, truly paid experts in the realm of Myers-Briggs. They have done, we've talked about several times on the show, they have done these fantastic deep dives into each of the types really helps you to understand this cognitive function business. Nobody explains it the way they do. I think that if you have not listened to the deep dive on your type from Personality Hacker, you are missing out. But on their site, in addition to their podcast, they have a blog on their website. It's a great place to go to. You could type in your type, a type that you're researching, bring up some articles they've written about in the past, listen to some of their shorter episodes. Those deep dives are pretty long. They're an hour, but they are so helpful. I have listened to that ENFP one several times. I keep going back and like just absorbing more of their knowledge and wisdom about it. And the INTJ one was excellent too. And and I even talked my husband into listening to it. And INTJs, typically known for being skeptics, Kyle was like, that was that was really good. I really I really liked what they had to say. And that was high really praise. high praise from yeah. him. <laughs> and then the last place I'm gonna send you and again, this is talking about cognitive functions, is over to Thought Catalog. There's a writer there named Heidi Preeb. She writes at Thought Catalog. Some of her stuff is really great. Some of it's a little bit more internet fluff stuff. But she wrote, last summer, she wrote a really long, comprehensive article called, If You're Confused About Myers-Briggs Personality Types, Read This, An Intro to Cognitive Functions. It's really long. I'll put the link into the show notes for you, Hannah. If you even just Google Thought Catalog, Intro to Cognitive Functions. I'm sure that you will be able to find this. But she breaks down the whole concept of cognitive functions and how each type has them and what they, how they express, how each cognitive function expresses itself in your real day-to-day life. I just think that she does a really good job of making that cognitive function information really approachable. So again, that's Heidi Prebit Thought Catalog, Intro to Cognitive Functions. We will put all of that information into the show notes for you so that if you do want to dig a little bit deeper, you have these resources at hand to get you started. So Kelly, you know that I will talk Myers-Briggs with anybody, any day. People can find us on social media to talk about any of this Myers-Briggs stuff. Kelly, where can we find you all around the web? I am on Twitter at Kelly at Lovewell. And that's my Instagram handle as well, Kelly at Lovewell. And then on Facebook, I am facebook.com slash lovewellblog. Okay, and you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg, or come talk to us on Facebook. We have so many Myers-Briggs discussions in there. We would love to have you join us, facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. You can also find the show on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks for hanging out with us today, and we will see you all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome.